Werewolves by Elliot O'Donnell. Chapter 5 Werewolves and Exorcism. Recording by Vine Matter. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. In the preceding chapter, I touched on one or two modes of evoking the spirits that have it in their power to confer the property of lycanthropy. I now pass on to the question of exorcism in relation to werewolves. Is it possible to exorcise the evil power of metamorphosis possessed by the werewolf, or, as those would say who see in the werewolf not the possession of a property, but a spirit, to exorcise the evil spirit? For my own part, and basing my opinion on my own experiences, with other forms of superphysical, with regard to the success of exorcism, I am skeptical. I have been present when exorcism has been tried tried on people supposed to be obsessed with demonical spirits, tried on spontaneous psychic phenomena in haunted houses, and in both cases it has failed. Now, although, as I have said, I regard lycanthropy in the light of a property, and do not believe in the lycanthropist being possessed of a separate individual spirit, I am inclined to think, were exorcism efficacious at all, that it would take effect on werewolves, since the property of werewolfery is a gift which is more or less directly acquired from malevolent spirit but i am not only dubious as to the powers of exorcism generally i am also dubious as to its effect on werewolves i have come across a good many alleged cases of its having been successfully practised on werewolves but in regard to these cases the authority is not very reliable nor the corroborative evidence strong Nearly all the methods prescribed embrace the use of some potion, such, for example, as sulphur, asafoetida, and castorium, mixed with clear spring water, or hypericum compounded with vinegar, which two potions seem to have been, and still be, the most favoured recipes for removing the devilish power. The ceremony of exorcism proceeded as follows. The werewolf was sprinkled three times with one of the above solutions, and saluted with the sign of the cross, or addressed thrice by his baptismal name, each address being accompanied by a blow to the forehead with a knife, or he was sprinkled, whilst at the same time his girdle was removed, or, in lieu of being sprinkled, he had three drops of blood drawn from his chest, or was compelled to kneel in one spot for a great number of years. A full description of the practice and failure of exorcism was cited to me the other day in connection with a comparatively recent happening in Asiatic Russia. Tina Perovsky, a wealthy widow who lived in St. Nicholas Street, Moscow, not a hundred yards from the house of Herr Schaumann, the well-known German banker and horticulturalist, everyone in Russia has heard of the Schaumann tulips, met a gentleman named Ivan Baranov at a friend's house, and, despite the warning of her brother, married him. Ivan Baranov did not look more than thirty years of age. He was usually dressed in grey furs, a grey fur coat, grey fur leggings, and a grey fur cap. His features were very handsome, at least so Tina thought. His hair was flaxen, glossy, and bright as a mirror, and his mouth, when open, displayed a most brilliant set of even white teeth. Tina had three children by her first husband, and the fuss Ivan Baranov made of them pleased her immensely. Their own father never evinced a greater anxiety for their welfare. Ivan brought them the most expensive toys and sweetmeats, particularly sweetmeats, and would insist on seeing for himself that they had plenty of rich creamy milk, fresh eggs, and the best of butter. "'You'll kill them with kindness,' Tina often remonstrated. "'They're too fat by half now.' "'They can't be too fat,' Ivan would reply. "'No one is too fat. I love to see rosy cheeks and stout limbs. Wait till you are in the country.' 
Then you may talk about putting on flesh. The air there will fatten you even more than the food. Then we shall burst, and there will be the end of us, Tina would laughingly say. But despite all this, despite the way in which she fondled and caressed them, the children involuntarily shrank away from Ivan, and on Tina angrily demanding the reason, they told her they could not help it. There was something in his bright eyes and touch that frightened them. When Tina's brothers and sisters heard of this, they upheld the children. We are not in the least surprised, they said. His eyes are cruel, so are his lips, and as for those eyebrows, those dark, straight eyebrows that meet in a point over the nose, why, everyone knows what a bad sign that is. But Tina grew so angry they had to desist. You're jealous, she said to her brothers. You envy him and his looks and money. And to her sisters, she said, you only wish you could have him yourselves. You know I love him already far more than I ever loved Rupert. Rupert was her first husband. And within a month or so of the marriage, Tina left all her relatives in Moscow, and accompanied by her children and dogs, some people hinted that Tina was fonder of her dogs than her children, went with Ivan Baranov to his ancestral home near Orsk. Though accustomed to the cold, Tina found the climate of Orsk almost more than she could bear. Her husband's house, which occupied an extremely solitary position on the confines of a gloomy forest some few miles from the town, was a large grey stone building full of dark winding passages and dungeon-like rooms the furniture was scant and the rooms with the exception of those devoted to herself her husband and the children which were covered with crimson drugat were carpetless a more barren inhospitable-looking house could not be imagined and the moment Tina entered it, her spirits sank to zero. The atmosphere of the place frightened her the most. It was not that it was merely forlorn and cheerless, but there was something in it that reminded her of the smell of the animal houses in the zoological gardens in Moscow, and something she could not analyze, a something which she concluded must be particular to the house. The children were very much upset. The sight of the dark entrance hall and wide, silent staircases bathed in gloom terrified them. "'Oh, mother!' they cried, clutching hold of Tina Baranoff and dragging her back. "'We can never live here. Take us away at once. Look at those things. Whatever are they?' And they pointed to the shadows, queerly shaped shadows that lay in thick clusters on the stairs and all around them. Tina did not know what to say. Her own apprehensions and only too obvious terror of the dogs, whom she'd literally to drive across the threshold, and whose whined and cringed at her feet, confirming the children's fears, made it impossible for her to check them. Moreover, since leaving Moscow, the warnings of her friends and relations had often come back to her. Though Ivan had never ceased to be kind, his conduct roused her suspicions. During the journey, which he had insisted should be performed in a droshki, he halted every evening directly the moon became invisible, and used to disappear regularly between dusk and sunrise. He would never tell her where he went or attempt to explain the oddness of his conduct, but when pressed by her, he would merely say, It is a habit. I always like to roam abroad in the night time. It would be very bad for my health if I did not. And this was all Tina could get out of him. She noticed, too, what her blind infatuation had prevented her observing before, that there was a fierce expression in his eyes when he set out on these nocturnal ramblings, and that on his return the corners of his mouth and his long-fingered nails were always smeared with blood. Furthermore, she noticed that although he was concerned about the appetites of herself and the children, he ate very little cooked food himself, never vegetables or bread, and would often furtively put a raw piece of meat into his mouth when he thought no one was looking. Tina hoped that these irregularities would cease on their arrival at the chateau, but on the contrary, they rather increased, and she became greatly perturbed. The second night after their arrival, when she had been in bed some time and was nearly asleep, Tina, between her half-clothed eyelids, watched her husband get out of bed stealthily, open the window, and drop from the sill. Some hours later she was again roused. She heard the growl of a wolf, and immediately afterward saw Ivan's grey-clad head at the window. He came softly into the room, 
and as he tiptoed across the floor to the washstand, Tina saw splashes of blood on his face and coat, whilst it dropped freely from his fingertips. In the morning the news was brought her by the children that one of her favourite dogs was dead, eaten by some wild animal, presumably a wolf. Tina's position now became painful in the extreme. She was more than suspicious of her husband, and had no one saving her children in whom she could confide. The house seemed to be under a ban. No one, not even a postman or tradesman, ever came near it, and with the exception of the two servants whose silent, gliding movements and light, glittering eyes filled both her and her children with infinite dread, she did not see a soul. On four consecutive nights, one of her four dogs was killed, each in precisely the same manner and on each of these consecutive nights tina watched ivan surreptitiously leave the house and return all blood-stained and accompanied by the distant howl of wolves and all the day following the death of each dog respectively tina noticed the grey glinting eyes of the two servants become more and more earnestly fixed on the children and herself at meal-times the eyes never left her she was conscious of their scrutiny at every mouthful she took and when she passed them in the passages she instinctively felt their gaze following her steadily till she was out of sight sometimes hearing a stealthy breathing outside her room she would quickly open the door demanding who was there and she invariably caught one or other of the servants slinking away disconcerted but still peeping at her furtively from under his long pointed eyebrows when she spoke to them they answered her in harsh curiously discordant tones and usually only in monosyllables but she never heard them converse with one another save in whispers always in whispers the house was now full of shadows and whispers they haunted her even in her sleep for the first two or three days her husband had been communicative but he gradually grew more and more taciturn until at last he rarely said anything at all he merely watched her watched her wherever she went and whatever she did and he watched the children particularly the children with the same expression the same undefinable secretive expression that harmonized so well with the shadows and whispers and it was this treatment the treatment she now received from her husband that made tina appreciate the company of her children before they had been quite a tertiary consideration ivan had come first then the dogs and lastly hilda olga and peter but this order was at length reversed and on the death of the last of her pets hilda olga and peter stood first she spent practically every minute of the day with them and despite the protestations of her husband converted her dressing-room into a bedroom for them the first evening of their removal to their new quarters tina sat and played with them till one after another they fell asleep from sheer exhaustion then she sat beside them and examined them curiously hilda the eldest was lying composed and orderly with pale cheeks and smooth hair her limbs straight her head slightly bent the bedclothes unruffled upon the regularly heaving chest how pretty hilda looked and how odd it was that she tina had never noticed the beauty of the child before why with her fair complexion delicate features and perfectly shaped arms and hands she would undoubtedly one day take old moscow by storm and every one would say do you know who that lovely girl is she's the daughter of tina tina baranoff she shuddered at the name of baranoff no wonder she is beautiful tina turned from hilda to olga what a contrast but not an unpleasant one for olga was pretty too though in a different style what a sight defying all order and bursting all bounds flushed tumbled and awry the round arms tossed up the rosy face flung back the bedclothes pushed off the pillow flung out the nightcap one way the hair another all that was disorderly and lovely by night all that was unruly and winning by day tina dainty elegant perfumed manicured tina bent over untidy little olga and kissed her then she turned to peter 
and unable to resist the temptation she tickled his toes and woke him when she at last sent him to sleep again it was almost dinner-time and she had barely got to her address when one of the servants rapped at the door to say that the meal was ready the house was very large and tina had to pass through two halls and down a long corridor before reaching the room where the dinner was served rather to her relief than otherwise her husband did not put in an appearance and a note from him informed her that he had unexpectedly been called away on business would not be able to return until late the following day tina did not enjoy her dinner the soup had rather a peculiar flavour but she knew it was useless to make any comment the servants either could not or would not understand and ivan invariably upheld them in everything they did unable to bear the man's eyes continually fixed on her she told him not to wait and hurried through the meal so as to get him out of the way and be left for the rest of the evening in peace the big wood fire appealed to tina it was the only thing in that part of the house that seemed to have any life and she resolved to sit by it and perhaps skim through a book tina seldom read in moscow all her evenings were spent at cards she remembered however that somebody had told her repeatedly and emphatically that she ought to read tolstoy's resurrection and she'd actually brought it with her now she would wade through it but whether it was the heat of the fire or the lateness of the hour or both her senses grew more and more drowsy and before she began to read she fell asleep she was at length partially awakened by a loud noise at first her sleepy senses paid little attention and she dozed on but again she was roused a noise which grew louder and louder at last compelled her to shake off sleep and starting up she opened the door and looked into the passage a few streaks of moonlight streaming through an iron grating high up on the wall enabled her to see a tall figure stealing softly along the corridor with its back towards her the thing was so extraordinary that for a moment or so she fancied she must still be dreaming but the cold night air blowing freely in her face steadily assured her that what she saw was grim reality the thing was a monstrosity a hideous hybrid of man and beast and she gazed at it too horror-stricken to move a second and third form exactly similar to it crept out from among the shadows against the wall and joined it and tina yielding to a sudden fascination followed in their wake in this fashion they crossed the hall and ascended the staircase tina keeping well behind them she knew where they were aiming for and any little doubt she might have had was set at rest when they turned into the passage leading to her bedroom a moaning cry of fear from one of the children told her that they too knew by intuition of their coming danger tina was now in an agony of mind as what to do for the best that the intention of the hideous creatures be they what they might phantasms or things of flesh and blood was sinister she had not the slightest doubt but how could she prevent them from getting at her children the most she could do would be to shout to hilda and tell her to lock the two doors but would that keep them out she opened her mouth and jerked out a hilda she tried again but her throat had completely dried up and she could not articulate another syllable the sound however though faint had been sufficient to attract the attention of the hindermost creature it turned and the light from the moon coming through the half-open door of her bedroom shone on its glittering eyes and white teeth it sprang toward her with one convulsive bound tina cleared the threshold of a room immediately behind her dashed to the door locked it barred it flung a chair against it and stood in an agony for which no words exist she seemed to see all in a moment herself safe and her children not a door closed between them and those dreadful jaws she then became stupefied with terror and a strange dinning sound like the pulsation of her heart filled her ears and shut out every sense it's a devil a devil she repeated mechanically and then forcing herself out of the trance-like feeling that oppressed her she combated with the cowardice that prevented her rushing out if only to die in an attempt to save her children she had not realized till then that it was possible to care for them more even much more even than she had cared for her dogs she placed one hand on the lock 
and looked round for some weapon of defence there was not a thing she could use not a stanchion to the window not a rod to the bed and even if there had been a futile in her puny grip she glanced at her tiny white fingers with their carefully trimmed and polished nails and smiled a grim smile of irony then she placed her ear against the panel of the door and listened and from the other side came the sound of heavy panting and the stealthy movements of hand suddenly a scream rang out so clear and vibrating so full of terror that her heart stood still and her blood congealed it was hilda hilda shrieking mother there it was again mother mother help help then a series of savage snarls and growls and more shrieks the combined shrieks of all three children shrieks and growls were then mingled together in one dreadful hideous pandemonium which all of the sudden ceased and was succeeded by the loud crunching and cracking of bones at last that too ceased and tina heard footsteps rapidly approaching her door for a moment the room and everything in it swam around her she felt choked the dinning in her ears came again it beat louder and louder and completely paralyzed her a crash on the door panel however abruptly restored her faculties and the idea of escaping by the window for the first time entered her mind if her husband could use the window as a means of exit why couldn't she not a second was to be lost the creatures outside were now striving their utmost to get in it was the work of a moment to throw open the window, and almost before she knew she had opened it, she found herself standing on the ground beneath. The night had grown darker. She could not see the path. She knew that she was losing time, and yet that all depended on her haste. She felt fevered with impatience, yet torpid with terror. At length she disengaged herself from the broken, uneven soil in which she had dropped, and struggled forward. On and on she went, not knowing where her next step would land her, and dreading every moment to hear the steps of her pursuers. The darkness of the night favoured her, and by dodging in and out of the bushes and never keeping to the same track, although still keeping a forward course, she successfully eluded her enemies, whose hoarse cries gradually grew fainter and fainter by good luck she reached the high road which eventually brought her to orsk and there she sought shelter in a hotel in the morning on learning from the landlord that a friend of hers colonel magendi was in town tina sought him out and into his sympathizing ears poured the story of her adventures now it so happened that a priest of the name of rapaport a friend of the colonel's came in before tina had finished her story and on being told of what had happened declared that ivan baranoff and his servants had long been suspected of being werewolves he then begged that before before anything was done to them he might be allowed to try his powers of exorcism the colonel ridiculed the idea but in the end was persuaded to postpone his visit to the chateau until the evening and to go there with an escort a quartet of his most trusted soldiers and accompanied by his friend the reverend father rapaport accordingly at about nine o'clock the party set out and arriving at the house found it in total darkness and apparently deserted they had not waited long before a series of savage growls from the adjacent thicket put them on their guard and almost immediately afterward three werewolves stalked across the path and prepared to enter the house at a word from the colonel the soldiers leapt forward and after a most desperate scuffle in which they were all more or less badly mauled succeeded in securing their quarry in more civilized parts of the country the police would have been called in but here where that good old law might is right still held good a man in the colonel's position could do whatever he deemed the most expedient and colonel magendi had made up his mind that justice should no longer be delayed the chateau had borne an ill reputation for generations from time immemorial ivan baranoff's ancestors had been suspected of lycanthropy and this last deed of the family was the crowning atrocity you may exercise the devils first the colonel grimly remarked to the priest wiping the blood off his sleeves we will hang and quarter the brutes afterwards to this the holy father willingly agreed for he did not care what happened so long as his exorcism was successful the rites that were performed in connection with this ceremony 
in which I understand are those most commonly observed in exercising all manner of evil spirits, were as follows. A circle of seven feet radius was drawn on the ground in white chalk. At the centre of the circle were inscribed in yellow chalk certain magical figures representing mercury, and about them was drawn, in white chalk, a triangle, within a circle of three feet radius the centre of the circle being the same as that of the outer circle within this inner circle were then placed the three captive werewolves it would be well to explain here that in exorcism as well as in the evocation of spirits great attention must be paid to the position of the stars as astrology exercises the greatest influence on the spirit world the present occasion the reverend father pointed out was specially favourable for the casting out of devils since from eight thirty two p m to nine sixteen p m was under dominion of the great angel mercury the most bitter opponent of all spirits that is to say mercury was in seventh degree of gemini on the cusp of the seventh house slightly to the south of due west waxing crescent moon going to mars with mercury in fourteen degree gemini mercury to mars neptune mercury one hundred and thirty degrees saturn round the outer circle the reverend father now proceeded to place at equal intervals hand lamps burning olive oil he then erected a rude altar of wood about a foot to the southeast of the circumference of the inner circle exactly opposite to this altar and about one and a half feet to the far side of the circumference of the inner circle he ordered the soldiers to build a fire and to place over it a tripod and pot the latter containing two pints of pure spring water he then prepared a mixture consisting of these ingredients two drachms of sulphur half an ounce of castorium three drachms opium three drachms of asafoetida half an ounce of hypericum three-quarters an ounce ammonia half an ounce of camphor when this was thoroughly mixed he put it in the water in the pot adding to it a portion of mandrake root a live snake two live toads in linen bags and a fungus he then bound together with red tape a wand consisting of three sprigs taken respectively from an ash birch and white poplar he next proceeded to pray kneeling in front of the altar and continued praying until the unearthly cries of the toads announced the fact that the water in which they were immersed was beginning to boil slowly getting up and crossing himself he went to the fire and dipping a cup in the pot solemnly approached the werewolves and slashing them severely across the head with his wand dashed in their faces the seething liquid calling out as he did so in the name of our blessed lady i command thee to depart black evil spirits from hell be gone be gone again i say be gone he repeated this three times to the vociferous yells of smarting werewolves who struggled so frantically that they succeeded in bursting their bonds and leaping to their feet endeavoured to escape into the bushes the soldiers at once rose in pursuit and the priest was left alone he'd got rid of the flesh and blood and he presumed he'd got rid of the devils but that remained to be proved in the chase that ensued one of the werewolves was shot and simultaneously with death metamorphosis into the complete form of a huge grey wolf took place the other two eluded their pursuers for some time but were eventually tracked owing to the discovery of a half-eaten remains of an old woman and two children in a cave true to their lupine natures they showed no fight when cornered and a couple of well-directed bullets put an end to their existence the same metamorphosis occurring in their cases as in the case of their companion with the death of the three werewolves the chateau one would naturally have thought might have emerged from its ban but no such thing it speedily acquired a reputation for being haunted and that it was haunted haunted not only by werewolves but by all sorts of ghastly phantasms i have no doubt i was told not long ago that tina whose property it became pulled it down and that another house replete with every modern luxury but equally haunted now marks the site of the old chateau End of chapter 5